This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. And we welcome you aboard to the debut edition of VOL Daybreak. That's right. Three days per week. We plan to drop right there in that trusty smartphone of yours, wherever you may consume your podcast materials, a early morning podcast to get your day going. We're going to do these on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays to start and kicking off the very first BOL Daybreak. Myself, Travis Schreier, Senior Analyst for BamaOnline.com, and I'm joined by Bama Online Beat Reporter Team Insider, Charlie Potter, who... First things first, as we bring Charlie on here, first thing this Monday morning, Charlie celebrated a birthday over the weekend. So birthday salutations to Mr. Charlie Potter, who I got to give him credit. I got to give Alabama some credit here too, Charlie. Uh, Alabama finally scheduled its football postseason in a way, I guess, in which you at least got to be in Tuscaloosa first and foremost. Uh, for your birthday, and and maybe not too hectic, although you had some Alabama basketball on Saturday evening. I know that. Yeah, it was a it was a pretty good day. Um, I'm I will gladly take a a quiet afternoon in Tuscaloosa uh, over what we've been used to the last several years. But I, I appreciate that. Um, you know, I know that Jedrick Wills and and Jerry Judy had some announcements on my birthday, so I appreciate them looking <laughs> out. And uh, you know, Nate Oates and and the Crimson Tide hitting the hardwood. You can always thank them for that. But no, it was it was a good 28th birthday, I, I got to say. Good deal. Hey, we don't want to give the uh, fan base out there too much of a case of the Mondays, but we got to talk. Speaking of basketball, Alabama basketball, uh, we got to talk about that Alabama-Florida game from Saturday night. I thought that game might eventually spill over into Sunday morning, actually, uh, <laughs> even with a 5 o'clock tip-off. But uh, Charlie, Charlie, a 21-point. Late in the first half lead, okay? Not in the first 10 minutes or the first 12 minutes. Late in the first half, Alabama leads by 21. Florida goes on that quick 7 nothing run there to end the first half, cut it to 14, and you wonder, this might be a little bit of a Penn State repeat, even more extensive in terms of the comeback that the Gators had to make on their home court. But, um, uh, you know, the turnover late for Alabama leads to the game-tying layup there in regulation, uh, go into overtime, you get into some foul problems with your bigs, you are ultimately down to really playing with what you could describe as five guards at one point with Herb Jones out there playing the five defensively. But, um, Charlie, I don't know. Your, your thoughts on that game Saturday night, uh, defensive failures, too much fouling, free throw issues. What did you kind of attribute that collapse to down there at the O'Connell Center? Yeah, I mean, Alabama played really well to begin with. Um, it was kind of back and forth early. Uh, I think Florida took an, an 11-9 lead uh, pretty early on. And then Alabama went on a, a 14-0 run to kind of turn the tables and get out to that 21-point lead eventually. And like you said, Florida you know, closed the gap with a quick run at the end of the first half. And uh, Alabama went to the locker room with a two-touchdown lead. And it just kind of started to, to trickle down from there. Florida just continuously chipped away. 
uh, at that deficit. And, you know, you, you mentioned the, the inbounds play there uh, in the final minutes, and they were able to tie it up and send the game to overtime. And it looked like Florida was going to kind of just run away with it in the, the first overtime. But, you know, John Petty sank a three with about 16 seconds left, if I recall, and descended to double overtime. And then, you know, Alabama just couldn't get things going uh, in the second overtime and eventually lost 104 to 98. And, you know, for the most part, the teams were pretty evenly matched. Um, I think we saw what kind of exciting brand of basketball Nate Oates can bring uh, to, to Tuscaloosa, especially early on. Uh, I didn't think the defense was just atrocious. Um, you know, that, that you, you look at the score and you think, yeah, but you got to add on 10 more minutes of the game. So, you know, that's a factor. But Alabama, yeah, they struggled with, um, you know, the, with fouling late. They lost Javian Davis and, and Galen Smith uh, to foul trouble and then eventually Herb Jones. And just the, you know, the amount of fouls, the discrepancy there, um, you know, it, it took a toll. Um, Alabama was whistled for, I think, nine more fouls, including a seven to one difference in, in overtime. And losing, you know, three year big guys facing a guy like uh, Kerry Blackshear, that hurts. So, um, yeah, they got a, a lot of good efforts from guys like John Petty. Uh, you know, Kyra Lewis kind of came on late. Uh, he kind of struggled a little bit, but you know, with the guy that's handling the ball as much as he is and running this offense, you're going to have some ups and downs. And I thought guys like Alex Reese and Beetle Bolden uh, did some good things off the bench. It sounds like Alex Reese kind of dealt with a sickness uh, down there in games one, wasn't very effective in the second half. But you know, that, that kind of just describes the second half as a whole. It was kind of a, a sickness they couldn't really you know, jump back from, and um, ultimately they, they lost the game that looked like they were going to win pretty handily. Yeah, not a team with the injuries and the issues that this team has dealt with even before the start of the season that's built for double overtime games against quality (laughs) opponents like Florida. I mean, you had three guys play 43 plus minutes in the game Saturday night, John Petty with 43 minutes, Kyra Lewis, you said it, he had his struggles, but when you play 46 minutes and pretty much 40 plus of those are on the basketball uh, it, it's, a uh, it, it's a serious grind. Uh, Herb Jones goes 45 minutes. Um, you know, I, it's one of those games, right? Where you can go back and do a lot of what ifing, especially in that final minute of overtime, Alabama goes up six, uh, Beetle Bolton hits one of two, Alabama goes up six with right around 40 seconds to play. Um, but man, Florida drives it right down the court, uh, gets an and one that makes it a three-point game. And that was, to me anyway, kind of the turning point that set the stage for what followed. Yes, the sidelines out-of-bounds play from Petty uh, throwing it in, that, sure, I mean, that tied the game for Florida off that turnover. And then really, if you probably throw that ball even just into the front court and you turn it over, at least you give yourself a chance to play defense. But look, this is all part of it. This is why Alabama has a first-year coach in Nate Oates. If Avery Johnson and his teams closed out games better, you wouldn't have a new regime in town. And so, right, this is part of the culture and and what Nate Oates continues to try to establish. I took a lot of positives from the game. Um, But this is what teams that typically are going through coaching changes have to learn how to do, and that's close out games against good teams. Yeah, no doubt. And uh, that was one of the things that that Nate Oates said and, after the game is he gave Florida credit and they were able to close the game out. Alabama wasn't, I think that's one of the big things is this young Alabama team. I know they, um, they have some juniors and a lot of the juniors that play a lot of big minutes, but the only senior on this team is Beetle Bolden. He got here in the summer 
and has dealt with injuries all year long. They just need to learn how to win. Um, and I think they're, they seem like they were doing that heading into SEC play. Um, you know, on a, a nice little run there. And then they, they went to a place where it's, it's tough to win games. And, you know, this isn't the, the Florida teams we saw, um, you know, win back-to-back national championships, but it's still a, a good Florida team. Kerry Blackshear is one of the best players in the conference. They have several uh, outstanding players. Yeah. yeah. They have guys that have been there, and um, Alabama doesn't. So I think that the, the big thing there is that um, NATO's essentially said that the tougher team was going to win tonight, and Alabama looked like that tougher team in the first half. But then, you know, Florida started to make those tough plays, started to look more like a Florida team in the second half, and, and Alabama didn't. So that was the difference in the game. And, yeah, I, I agree. There were some positives to take away from this game. Uh, it may be more so than anything else. It didn't have anything to do with what happened on the court, but the fact that Chris Stewart was back on the mic uh, Absolutely. Was, was a great positive. Um, with all the, the health issues he's been with, uh, been through, uh, to have him back um, as the play-by-play for the Crimson Tide Sports Network was a welcome sight. And, um, you know, that's that's kind of if, – if Alabama had been able to hang on to this, that would have been a, a storybook evening. But uh, they weren't, and uh, they weren't able to. And, you know, we'll, we'll see if they can bounce back against Mississippi State on Wednesday. Yeah, I wanted to touch on that with Chris. Uh, an absolute blessing to see him back in, in action. Uh, Mike's side there uh, from the O'Connell Center. And also kudos to Roger Hoover, mm-hmm. who has dutifully uh, held down the fort for Chris uh, while he has worked on getting back to previous form. And uh, Brian Pasink, uh, Pasink does a great job as well uh, on the uh, analyst work there. Brian Pasink is uh, been a long-time fixture alongside his pal Chris Stewart, so glad to see those two uh, working together once again. Now, yeah, just one of those games, if we were going into the game, a final thought or so on the basketball game, if I had told you going in, Charlie, Alabama was going to make more threes than it had turnovers, I, I think you'd have liked Alabama's chances. Thirteen, One of those positives we're talking about, 13 threes, Alabama's going to get 33s up or so a game. 34 three attempts for Alabama Saturday. 13 makes for 38%. And just 12 turnovers in the game. So uh, something to consider a positive as this team looks to move forward. And the question now, Charlie, can we see a bounce-back type performance from this team similar to what we saw with the tough loss on the road at Penn State? You like the response you got from this team uh, a couple weeks ago in that regard. And look, you don't really have a choice right now because this first four or five games and really the league play in general is going to be nuts, I think, this year. But you got a Mississippi State team coming into Tuscaloosa Wednesday night uh, that's coming off a home loss to to Auburn over the weekend. It's going to be in semi-desperation mode already, Ben Howland's club. Then you go to Kentucky on Saturday for an early tip, and then you get Auburn right back here in Tuscaloosa midweek next week. Uh, I, there, there's no choice at this point to, to, but, but to, to rebound positively. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, it's a, it's a tough start to league play. Um, you know, and, and this is a game that with what's on the horizon with Kentucky and Auburn that you could potentially sleep on. I think the, the loss to Florida will open some eyes a little bit. Um, I know they'll be you know, pretty tired from a, a double overtime game. When you mentioned guys are playing 40 plus minutes and uh, key guys there, but um, yeah, it's it's going to be a it's it's an important game. Uh, it's an, an important stretch because Alabama sitting at seven and six is not where it wants to be. It's had several games where you, know, you you can look back on it and be like you know if only this had fallen our way, um, then 
things would be different. You'd be sitting with a better record. Uh, you look back at the Penn game, the Penn State game, this Florida game. You know, when you get to March and Alabama's maybe a bubble team looking on the outside or the outside looking in, you're going to look back to games like this and and wonder, you know, what could have been. But you know, you, you can't let a game like this Mississippi State game get away from you, and uh, you'll be down and out. They have to you know pick themselves back up. Uh, does themselves off and, and get back to it because they have shown some progress. Um, yeah, you mentioned that. I wouldn't have thought that had Alabama made more threes than they had turnovers, they would have lost the game with the way that they play. But uh, that was the case, and you know they just need to, to rebound. Uh, pardon the pun there, but and um, you know get a win against Mississippi State, or else it, it could get ugly pretty fast with the games they have coming up. Yeah, key losses to teams like Penn and Penn State, and now Florida when you had very real opportunities in all three of those games, you're going to have to replace some grades uh, moving forward. And that probably means somewhere along the line, you're going to have to take out, uh, you know, an Auburn certainly at home. That's I think doable at least coming up. Uh, but two and two coming out of this first four, however you get there, whether it's with two home wins or uh, you do something uh, most won't expect you to do at Rupp on Saturday, if you can get the two and two through these first four, you're still in a pretty good spot where the SEC is concerned. Speaking of grades, uh, we've been talking a lot about draft grades for all of these Alabama draft eligibles, potential draft uh, picks for that 2020 NFL draft coming up in April. Uh, we sort of have a totem, uh, a tote board going right now with all these guys. Here's what we do know. Terrell Lewis, uh, gone, Dylan Moses, staying, maybe not staying, and then staying. Alex <laughs> Leatherwood, the offensive tackle, is staying. Jerry Judy, the wide receiver, is moving on. Jedrick Wills, uh, the offensive tackle, is moving on. Xavier McKinney, on Sunday, we find out. He, too, as one of the top two projected safeties for the 2020 NFL Draft. Uh, Alabama's leading tackler is moving on. Um, to this point, Charlie, uh, gosh, I'm, I'm really going to use the whole domino thing here. I think have the dominoes sort of fallen the way you would have expected, or has there been maybe a surprise or two? The way that I expected, I think they've fallen about, uh, just the right way. Um, you know, I, I put up and, you know, Tim and I kind of collaborated on some notes and, um, our subscribers over at BLL have, have read those and, it's kind of fallen the way that I thought it would. And you and I have talked a lot about um, you know, these draft decisions. We've talked a lot about it throughout the season. And I think heading into this season, when everybody was healthy, you had to imagine most of these guys were going to move on to the NFL draft. Um, but as the season progressed, it kind of felt like, to me at least, uh, it would be a huge win for Alabama if they could get a guy like Dylan Moses to come back if they could get one of these two offensive tackles to come back and just one of these wide receivers to come back and right now it's shaping up to to be that way and you know you still have a few guys that are set to make announcements um you know Najee Harris most people believe and and we're in that group that he's going to turn pro uh he's a guy that I think has always looked at being a, a three and done type player and you know, with being a running back, that shelf life is is not what it used to be. And uh, the value in the draft, regardless of how good you are, isn't what it used to be. So it would be a shock if he didn't turn pro. Uh, both wide receivers, Devontae Smith and Henry Ruggs, still have decisions to make. Um, I, I think that they could potentially get one of those guys, and I would lean more toward Devontae Smith. But you know, these decisions have been kind of wacky, and you never know what's going to happen. And then everybody knows that tomorrow – 
um, or I guess today now, um, Tua Tonga-Vailoa will be announcing his decision at 11 a.m. in a press conference at Malmore. And um, not sure what to, to think about Tua, but as I said, I think if it's a it's a big win for Alabama to get Moses and Leatherwood. Those are two former five-star recruits, guys that have started a lot of football games in Tuscaloosa. And if they get one of those wide receivers back, that's huge for next season. But if you get a guy like Tua or maybe even a guy like Ruggs to return, that's just icing on a cake that before the season was not a cake at all. The cake wasn't there. there we didn't think a lot right. of these guys would be back. So um, to me, I think the dominoes have fallen um, just about how I would expect them to. Now, after Dylan Moses made his initial announcement um, you know, earlier in the week before the, the Citrus Bowl, uh, he made that announcement on Instagram. Everybody, you know, went crazy. They were so elated. Um, you know, the, the next day, Alabama kind of tweeted that out, and then they put out a gif with no words of just dominoes <laughs> falling. And then people lost their damn minds. No. And oh. <laughs> it's understandable. Um, and then, you know, as people started to try to decode these. You know, what do the numbers mean? Does a one in three mean two a? And as you would expect, I mean, Alabama fans are, you know, they they love Alabama football. They're going to read into to everything and try to decode everything. But um, I think a lot of them have been kind of disappointed. But I, I would kind of stress them to not be because what you have coming back and, and Dylan Moses and Alex Leatherwood, those are huge gets. If they get a guy like Smitty to return after the season he's had, uh, get him to kind of bulk up a little bit in the offseason, that's a huge uh, boost to this offense. So, um, yeah, I don't know. That's kind of a, a long ranged answer, but for me, I think the dominoes have fallen about how I would expect if something happens with these guys coming up, that's maybe a surprise in a different direction. That That's a good news for Alabama. It's even better news than what they've already received. But I think that the tease of the dominoes and what it could have entailed, um, kind of got a lot of people excited and, and who knows? I don't, I don't know what two is going to announce tomorrow. I think did you, it, did you, take that as odd that on Sunday there was the change from going from no press conference to a press conference could, could you read anything to that because I can't I mean I I just will not be surprised really I mean I I'll still be surprised if he comes back because uh, even right after the injury to uh to a, in the Mississippi State game I would have told you I'll be shocked even even with the injury if he comes back well yeah, you know, there's been some rumblings and there's there's been some indications that perhaps he's actually giving more serious thought to coming back than some of us maybe uh, thought he would. Uh, but even still, I'll be surprised. And to your point, you know, big picture wise, back in August, if you had told me Dylan Moses was going to be back in 2020, well, you wouldn't have liked the circumstances. Obviously, you you would have yeah. rather have had Dylan Moses as Dylan Moses for a full season, uh, 115 tackles, Buckus Award winner, and you're playing uh, a week from tonight in the national championship game, perhaps, uh, then, then do it this way. But still, the fact remains, he's going to be back in 2020. So here's what I think, Charlie. You tell me. I, I think the only way where it, it, it's, it's a little bit of a, of a real letdown is if you lose Tua and both the receivers that are still out there in rugs and Smith, when you start talking about how much you'll have to replace offensively. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. I th- get, one, I th- get one of the receivers back. You can feel okay. If you lose the other receiver and two, I think, I think you can. I do too. And because if you lose both, then everyone's just going to key on, on number 17 next year. And yeah. he does. He's not going to have any support, at least any experience support. I know John Mechie showed out in the 
in the A-Day game. But, yeah, to me it was always a huge win if you just get one of these receivers to return, especially with the year that Devontae Smith put together. Um, he has a reason to turn pro, but he can build on that another year. He's a guy that always plays with a chip on his shoulder. He's a guy that was voted a team captain by his teammates. That leadership, that experience, that playmaking ability, that would be huge for Alabama. I think a guy like Henry Ruggs, um, I'm not sure exactly what he got back uh, from a draft grade, but he's a guy that is, if, if he likes to turn pro, which I think maybe he might be leaning more toward that at the moment, He's a guy that's going to go and just set Indianapolis on fire at the combine. Yeah. Smitty isn't that guy. I mean, he'll test well. He'll he'll impress. Um, you know, he's a level-headed dude. He'll he'll show out in the interviews and everything like that. But Henry Ruggs was built for the combine, so he has that next gear where he can even improve his draft stock. And I think if they get one of those guys back, it's huge. Anything else is gravy at this point. So yeah, with Tua, um, you know, I don't know exactly what he's going to choose. We'll find out, um, you know, here at 11 o'clock this morning. But um, I think Alabama fans, they, they feel a tinge of disappointment. But you had to think at the beginning of the season you were going to lose these guys. So don't be disappointed or upset with them whenever they make decisions that are best for them and their family. I think most people, a lot of Alabama fans probably back in the preseason, didn't think then that Xavier McKinney might be as coveted by the National Football League as it's played out. But he certainly had a first-round type of season. And if you're going to come out in a safety class, if Grant Delpit is clearly the number one guy uh, and, and there really isn't much of a, a front-runner for that 1A or number two spot, it lines up. It lines up too well for Xavier McKinney, right, to not come out this year. Yeah, it does, and he's a guy that – from everything I've heard, had got a first-round grade. And when you get those, Nick Saban's probably going to tell you to go to the draft, unless you're a guy that can maybe improve to a top-ten pick. And um, we don't see a lot of safeties taken that high. So I, I think that Xavier McKinney has had two really strong seasons as a starter. Uh, this year, he led the team in tackles. He's the team captain. I thought he was a guy that should have at least been a finalist for the Thorpe Award because he had a better season statistically than Grant Delpit. But uh, I think he's in the conversation to be the first safety taken off the board. And when you are that, you can't blame him for leaving. And uh, he's a guy that, from everything I understood, was going to make a decision or, or make an announcement um, on Friday. But that wasn't the case. He held off a little bit. And he actually announced on his mother's birthday on Sunday. And um, you know, he's, he's a guy that's handled this in a first-class way. And um, you know, I, I hope that he ends up on a, a team that's a contender and has a really long NFL career because he's a good dude. And um, you know, he's worked his way into potentially being a, uh, a first-round draft pick. Absolutely. And as one stellar class makes its way from the capstone, a large portion of the next – potentially stellar class arrives in Tuscaloosa. I think if there is a way to sort of salve the wound, if it comes down to this with Tua and those receivers and Najee Harris and the guys that are still out there, it's knowing that you have another big time group of uh, early enrollees that are already descending upon Tuscaloosa led by Bryce Young. You know, we thought we had sort of worked through, uh, some tremendous hype and deserved hype, by the way, uh, for a guy who plays the quarterback position. But it may just be a continuation with Bryce Young coming in here, Charlie, because if you saw the All-American Bowl at all on Saturday, first two series of the game for Bryce Young, uh, two explosive plays for touchdowns. 
he's going to be in town, apparently, uh, for this announcement by Tua Tagovailo, ready to enroll in classes. First day of classes in the spring semester set for Wednesday, uh, I believe, at UA. So uh, it might not be a bad little sort of uh, elixir for what ails Alabama fans if the announcements later today and in the coming days don't go exactly the way they would like. No, I mean, Alabama addressed a lot of needs in this class, and they're going to sign a good quarterback each cycle. That's just kind of Nick Saban's MO, but they signed the best one they could sign. And uh, and Bryce Young, I think he's a guy that should, to a leave, he's going to compete for that starting job in the spring and, and over the course of the summer. It should be a lot of fun to watch. But and that was one of the things kind of this week in Orlando, and it, he really kind of hit on it after the game, that Nick Saban was talking about this 2017 class and how special they were because every junior – uh, chose to play in the bowl game. Um, you know, they waited to make their decisions until afterwards and make their announcements. And a lot of them have, and they've said all the right things. They've done all the right things. They've won a lot of football games in Tuscaloosa. But I think, you know, you, you saw kind of the the drop off uh, in recruiting, just in terms of where the rankings fell, and then guys kind of um, transferring from the program. You could tell that this 2020 class, they put an emphasis on getting good character guys, but also getting quality football players. And I think this 2020 class would rival that 2017 class. Of course, we have to wait until they've got on campus for all, but they've got a lot of guys that will end up being leaders and captains and uh, guys that are going to be making the same decision in in three years from now. So um, it's it's a big class of uh, needs and Bryce Young's at the very top of that. So yeah, if Tua decides to to turn pro uh, in his announcement later this morning, I think that Alabama's quarterback room is going to be in good hands with a guy like Bryce Young and also Mac Jones, what he was able to do down the stretch. Yeah, Mac Jones, all he did this year was throw for over 1,500 yards on just 141 pass attempts. So we talk about yards per attempt when you look at Tua and Joe Burrow and some of these guys that are all north of 10 yards per pass attempt. Well, there wasn't a big dip believe it or not, in that area from Tua uh, to Mac Jones. And that's why it goes back to if you can just get one of these remaining two wide receivers to come back to go along with Jalen Waddell, you have a much greater chance of sustaining that if you don't have Tua Tonga-Vailoa, if it is Mac Jones, if it is Bryce Young, uh, if it is someone other than Tua Tonga-Vailoa in 2020, uh, that's, that's, the, that's a key and trying to sort of sustain that uh, that dynamic ability that's been so prevalent here for the last two or three years in this Alabama offense. And you're right, too, not just Bryce Young coming in here early. I mean, you talk about impact guys at some areas of need, Chris Braswell, Drew Sanders, Demoy Kennedy, Q Robinson, uh, Brian Branch now with Xavier McKinney going pro. You think as a young safety has a chance to factor quickly. Will Anderson, another edge defender. These are all defensive guys I'm talking about, and mm-hmm. uh, guys in getting here early. Charlie, uh, you would you would anticipate with the losses uh, at outside linebacker at safety uh, and the need to just upgrade uh, there at that second and third level of that defense. Um, some newcomers with a real opportunity in front of them coming up here in the. Uh, in the very near future. Hey, Charlie, as we get out of here on BOL daybreak, uh, wild card weekend, uh, a lot of Bama, a lot of Bama on Saturday and Sunday. Right. And what about, uh, Derrick Henry, man? Uh, there are times where he looks like he's still playing at Alabama against college competition, but that was the new England Patriots. 
Saturday mm-hmm. night that he was making quick, sort of quick work of. And boy, how does it set up for that divisional round now with the Titans and the Ravens? Uh, a showcase game uh, when it comes to Alabama recruiting, I would say. Oh, no doubt. You have the, the two Heisen winners going head to head. And uh, Rashawn Evans has had a really good season for the Titans. And, um, you know, Marlon Humphrey's the first team all pro for the Ravens. So that's going to be a game that I think a lot of Alabama fans are going to be watching. But with what Henry was able to do uh, against the Patriots on Saturday is I've learned to never doubt that guy just because he always <laughs> just seems to come out on top. But when you're facing a Bill Belichick team, especially a Bill Belichick defense, he tends to take away your strength. And I don't think it's a surprise to anyone that Derrick Henry is the strength of that offense. And you're facing what has been the league's best defense most of the season, if not all of it, and he's just running through them like butter or knife through butter. Made, and, made uh, him look like Michigan State in the Cotton he Bowl. Did. He did. Looked like Michigan State in the Cotton Bowl, didn't it? That was just the yeah. biggest surprise to me is that that has been Bill Belichick's MO is just to take away the strength of the opposing team. And like I said, it's it's no secret that Derrick Henry is that, but he was still able to do whatever he wanted, whenever he wanted. He I think he they had a seventy five yard scoring drive and he accounted for all seventy five yards and plowed his way into the end zone for a touchdown. On his birthday, he and I shared the same birthday, so good to, there you good go. to see that. He and Colin Sexton. We we all had the same birthday, the Bama birthday. Wow, there you go. A couple of uh, couple of Heisman Trophy winners and Charlie Potter and Derrick Henry uh, and then uh, an All-American <laughs> in uh, Colin Sexton. Colin had what? Did Colin have 30 on his birthday? Did I see that right the other night? Or maybe I, it was. Yeah, I thought it was Saturday night. He had he had uh, maybe 30 uh, game high 30 uh, for the Cavs. But um, as we get out of here on BOL Daybreak, once again, Charlie, appreciate your help here on the maiden voyage of BOL Daybreak. Again, we'll be with you Mondays, Wednesdays, and Friday mornings. First thing on BOL Daybreak. Charlie, look forward to the coverage, the TUA Tua announcement coming up later today. Charlie's going to be there at the Naylor Stone Media Suite, so uh, Kirk McNair as well. We'll have you totally covered from wall to wall on the Decision 2020. Yeah, it sounds like uh, campaign coverage already, Charlie. A little early for that, isn't it? A little bit, but it, it certainly feels like that. I know we'll be there. I'll be there pretty <laughs> early. I'm, I anticipate with now that both Alabama and Auburn season over, um, I, I think the, the statewide media will, will probably be up at Malmore in the morning. I, I think I should get there pretty early. Yeah, hopefully they don't set it up You know, where Tua gives it to ESPN before everybody else. But uh, <laughs> don't I won't get Charlie. I won't get Charlie going on that. Too early on a Monday to do that with Charlie Potter. All right, Charlie, we'll do it again soon. Thanks, man. All right, man. Always look forward to it. There he goes, Charlie Potter. Uh, the rest of you, we appreciate you joining us here on BOL Daybreak. We'll do it again on Wednesday. Until then, have a great rest of your Monday.